Welcome to In a Perfect Policy, hosted by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Catalysts for Science Policy, or CASP. At CASP, we work to advocate for science-based policy, engage lawmakers in their policymaking process, and promote science outreach within the community. My name is Maya, your host for this episode. Today, we're going to explore how green infrastructure can help mitigate the impacts of climate change in Madison, Wisconsin. Extreme rainfall and flood events are increasingly common due to climate change. A highly developed urban center situated on an isthmus between two lakes, Madison is uniquely prone to flooding. Green infrastructure is one strategy to improve water management in urban areas and either capture water for reuse or create permeable surfaces where water can soak into the ground. In a recent policy memo, four CASP members provide recommendations for the City of Madison to create incentive programs for residents to implement green infrastructure. These actions will help the city prepare and adapt to the changing climate conditions. In this episode, we will hear from the authors of this CASP policy memo about their recommendations and the memo writing process in general. Thank you so much for answering some questions today. Can you go around and introduce yourselves? My name is Sarah Alexander. My name is Marie. And I'm Laura. So how did you come up with a topic for this memo? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back. You know, I think we started just sort of throwing out ideas of things that were interesting to us. You know, the four of us who wrote this have backgrounds and expertise sort of in pretty different areas. Um, so there, one wasn't a natural fit, I guess, that matched with all of our expertise, but I think we were interested in also tackling an idea that was a pressing issue, um, particularly in Madison. And so as we started throwing around ideas, I think writing a memo on a topic that has impact locally was of interest to us. And so we started thinking back towards um, the flooding in 2018 in Madison, which I think we were all here to experience. And, you know, thinking about ways that Madison could potentially um, help mitigate flood impacts like that in the future. So I think our conversation just sort of naturally arrived at, at this as a, a memo topic um, and also just, you know, thinking about, you know, what the needs in Madison are right now and how we can better uh, adapt to a changing climate. I know you all have different backgrounds and different expertise. So how did you come together to form this group? So the, the memo competition, the topics were supposed to address one of the sustainable development goals um, set by the UN. And so I forget, one of us proposed doing something around climate, um, which is one of the goals. And then we sort of self-selected to come together. Yeah, I think there were 12 to 15 people in our organization who were interested in participating in this contest. So we, we have a Slack and I think people were just throwing out different topics they were particularly interested in, in that Slack. And we kind of broke off based on like, either, oh yeah, I'm really interested in that topic, or I've never thought about that topic before, I'd love to learn more, which I think we definitely had a combination of those two things on this memo writing team. For context, the other two memos that our team, not this group of people, but in CASP ended up writing, um, there was one on 
proposing high-speed rail through Wisconsin and another with policies to control drug prices. Can you walk me through the process of writing this memo? What were all the steps that you needed to take? Well, to start, uh, we had to narrow it down from climate change in Madison to an issue we thought we could tackle. That's where our, I guess, our lack of expertise (laughs) in this area um, came in. So we were reading and Sarah, I think, eventually landed us on the topic because she has the most, like her background is the closest to this memo. And then we had to figure out what what we might recommend. So the way the memo is set up is this is a problem, this is the background, this is how things are currently done, these are policy options, and then at the end we say policy X or Y or all of them or none of them are a good idea. Yeah, so I think going off of that, one thing we did, um, as Laura was mentioning, to narrow in on sort of what policy recommendations we had was to look at what other places are doing, particularly some other Midwestern cities that, you know, are, are somewhat similar um, in size or other ways to Madison um, and to see what kinds of things they were doing, particularly related to green infrastructure, and then see if those could be something that couldn't be incorporated into Madison's city plan. So right now, what is the status quo with green infrastructure in Madison? And what were some of your recommendations? The current status quo, um, there's some green infrastructure implemented in Madison. And um, the city actually recently has started a pilot program to try and explore the impacts um, of green infrastructure in terms of helping mitigate flooding um, and and a changing climate. Um, But it's not super widespread yet, I don't think. You know, one thing that's been a big issue of contention is the lake levels of Lake Mendota. And so um, at present, um, with uh, the Tenney Lock and Dam maintains a lake level about five feet higher than natural lake levels, which you know, conservationists would say if we lower the lake a little bit, that would give us, it would expose some more wetlands and give more area to sort of take in an influx of water that would happen in an extreme precipitation or flood event. Um, On the other hand, homeowners, you know, don't want to have a whole bunch of exposed shoreline. and, And so there's sort of been a back and forth in terms of what the level of the lake should be. And so I think our policy options tried to you know, provide recommendations that don't necessarily involve settling that debate of (laughs) what the lake level should be right now. So our our main option that a number of other places are doing is to implement some sort of a grant program to install green infrastructure. So the city would set up a program where they'd be able to give funds to residents who, you know, put in a rain barrel, make a rain garden on the edge of their property, um, or other green infrastructure. Then we, you know, identified different um, grants through the federal government that Madison could potentially use to pay for such a program, at least initially. Um, So this would sort of be similar to perhaps um, what might come out of the pilot study that Madison is doing right now. A couple other Um, Recommendations or options that we came up with as well were to revise the City of Madison stormwater fees, um, which would basically distribute the cost of, 
you know, adapting to a changing climate among residents. So there's currently a monthly utility tax um, that's either a flat rate or based on water usage. Um, and so another option would be to add a little bit more onto that tax based on how much impervious surface you have on your property. So impervious being like concrete and things that don't allow water to soak back into the environment. And then the third option was to implement a volunteer program that would support green infrastructure development. So um, we know that social networks and personal connections are really useful and important for altering sort of the norms within a community. Um, and so the city of Minneapolis has um, a unique program where they, you know, have this like water stewards program and you can go through some training um, to then be a volunteer that helps others in your community implement green infrastructure projects. So that would be a lower cost, but, you know, another way to sort of connect community members and try and incentivize green infrastructure. That was a really great summary. I guess the most exciting thing for me was to just see how the first option that you described, the grant program, is successfully being used in Milwaukee, which while not an identical city, at least is a city operating within the same state government as we are. So we have similarities there. And um, yeah, that the third program has been successful in Minneapolis. Um, I was surprised and pleased to see that, um, that even without these financial incentives, uh, you still can get community support and involvement in these green infrastructure programs. And I think that's really necessary in Madison. I live on the Isthmus, so I would love to mitigate flooding. Can you talk a little bit about why Madison is uniquely vulnerable to flooding? Yeah, I... I guess I'll speak to that. <clears throat> um, given that the downtown area of Madison and the university are all within several blocks of, of two lakes and two lakes that have an artificially high water level, that's really what makes Madison uniquely situated because there's so little land between the two lakes. So if the, both lakes flood, then the isthmus floods. Yeah, I mean, I think it also, it does does help a little bit that, you know, for example, the capital is, you know, higher, there is, you know, a little bit of topography there to mitigate flood impacts. But, you know, it also just add, you know, it's especially the communities that are closer to the lake and in the lower areas are especially prone to flooding. And so particularly helping those communities, you know, where there's not such a topography change. And so if we get a lot of rainfall and the lake levels go up, um, that really has implications for those, you know, neighborhoods and streets. Yeah, so Lake, lake Mendota has been artificially elevated since the early 20th century. So I definitely understand any pushback to lowering that lake level because it's so normal to have Lake Mendota at the level where it is today. But I think because that is the first lake in Madison series of four lakes. So I think there's um, a compounding effect from lake to lake. So when we have a heavy rain event, that heavy rain will head through Mendota to Monona to Wingra and um, really lead to some incredible flooding in the southwest side of Madison. And I, I will say there's... Um... 
Tenny Lock, which we mentioned in our memo, is between Monona and Mendota. So any high water of Mendota that has to be relieved by opening the locks to allow water through to Monona would then would then compound because they're all they're all pretty much connected. You can actually canoe from just north of Mendota all the way through the lakes um, on the Yahara. It's like all part of the Yahara watershed. So it is, it is really interconnected. So your third recommendation involves a volunteer program. What do you think is the importance of community support for these proposals and getting the community involved in these kinds of issues? I mean, I think community buy-in is really important, not just for green infrastructure, but you know, anytime you're trying to get a community to adopt a new behavior and there's um, quite a bit of research you know that shows the power of you know our social connections and the you know identities and groups that we belong um, to in terms of shaping you know whether or not we recycle or take certain behaviors to some extent you could implement a grant program but it it's only helpful then if residents actually use it and implement those things on their property and so i think that's where the um, community engagement piece potentially comes in, in terms of allowing residents to talk with one another and, you know, share that they are implementing this, you know, which may sort of incentivize others to do the same and to take advantage of, of another program, um, or just to realize that, you know, this can be a low cost um, way to, you know, help our communities um, protect ourselves from a changing climate. So, I, yeah, I think the the community engagement piece is really helpful. One, just to to incentivize the development of these sorts of projects, um, but you know, also just to connect community members. Do you think there's a sense of urgency for adopting these measures because of climate change? I think it will be necessary. Um, I hope we implement these measures before we do really start experiencing more intense flooding events that we need these measures to protect us from. I think the floods are gonna get worse. I think the data about um, climate change is pretty clear on that. I don't know what the time scale is, but um, I think that this green infrastructure will help improve living conditions with or without increased flooding from climate change. It'll help us with our current amount of flooding. So I think it's worth doing, but I, I do think it's very necessary before things get worse. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen increased, you know, heavy precipitation events, you know, in throughout Wisconsin. And so, you know, I agree with Marie that you know, I think that the data is clear that we are that we are on a trend of you know having more and more precipitation, which, um, depending upon how the time over which a heavy rainstorm event occurs, could um, you know translate to more flooding events. It's it's going to be something I think that we need to think about as a community now and going forward. What were your overall goals for writing this report, and are you hoping it's going to have real policy implications? Yeah, so we are planning to submit it to someone at the, the Madison city level, to the mayor, or um, there are a few task force forces that are looking at this issue um, because we recommended policy issues and policy changes 
that the city would have to adopt. So we plan to find the appropriate people to recommend this. So what strategies have you learned about or plan to adopt when discussing these ideas and communicating these results with city officials? I mean, I think one thing that's, you know, helpful when communicating with anyone, but, you know, especially policymakers is to, you know, think about and try and think from their perspective what they're thinking about and what is important to them and sort of, um, I guess, tailoring the way that we communicate to um, messages or themes that connect with some of the issues they're working on or the issues that they care about most. You know, I think as always in communicating science, you know, making sure that we are not using technical language, but, you know, (laughs) communicating um, either verbally and writing in ways that anyone can understand. For me, a big thing that has been difficult to learn is that you can't just throw numbers at people and say, look, this is important. So I think that is one of the big things I need to focus on when communicating this um, work with green infrastructure is to focus on the story that the numbers are telling and um, not just saying, look at all this data, but instead to say, well, look at these people who live in these homes that are gonna be destroyed um, if they can't afford to install green infrastructure and if we don't do something to help mitigate flooding. Uh, And there's also a timing piece of if we're recommending changes that come on an annual or biannual budget, um, talking about a memo in between budget cycles is less likely to have an impact, but when it's closer to the this making, creating and deciding the budget, then there's more interest. Thinking about the funding structures was another fun and surprising part of this memo. I think part of the reason we recommend the grant program to be introduced in Madison to incentivize green infrastructure is that it does require a less permanent change to the tax structure. Um, So even though it would probably cost more to implement, it would be easier for the city administration to do so. Since community engagement was a big part of your recommendations, do you have any plans to communicate these recommendations to members of the community um, outside of the policy space? I don't know if we had specific plans yet to <laughs> communicate more broadly to the community. You know, I think some groups that we were thinking about potentially targeting or that might be interested in the community engagement piece would be some of the local um, you know, Friends of Wake Lingra or Clean Lakes Alliance, some of the local, um, I guess, nonprofit groups that are interested and definitely have a stake in, you know, the, the environment in, in and around Madison, um, and that those groups could be potential partners on, you know, volunteer program or trying to engage the community because that's part of the work that they already do. So we might think about reaching out to some of those groups um, or the city could could do that as well. Overall, what were some of the biggest challenges that came with writing this report? I would say for me, it was finding the resources. I actually play Frisbee with a woman who does flood management on the state level. And I sent her an email and I was like, help, where do I look? What do I do? And then secondly, it was 
reading through the stormwater tax structure and really understanding it and then writing it in a way that was understandable. The writing it understandably took several iterations. I'm gonna word mine with a positive thing first. So the first option was by far my favorite option because I wanted to remove as many barriers as possible to help folks implement green infrastructure in their own homes. Um, obviously though, it's the most expensive uh, option though. So that would make it difficult for the city to implement. And so the toughest part about writing this memo for me, it was having to be maybe a little more realistic in what we could actually recommend to the city, knowing that there are these budgetary constraints. Um, so I was really pleased that um, we put option two as the best, or sorry, option one as the best. So that's the grant program. But I think any of these options would be really great steps forward. Yeah, I think I'd agree with Marie that, you know, it's easy to think about maybe some of the issues that we're facing and harder to bring that down to a practical level of like what specific actions could we recommend that would impact that or be able to start addressing that issue. So kind of figuring out, you know, what is within the power of different groups and the jurisdiction and, you know, coupled with what would potentially have the most impact um, or influence. What do you think has been the most rewarding part of this process? I really enjoyed um, <laughs> working with, um, you know, the other, the other authors to try and, you know, tackle an issue with, um, you know, real relevance in our community. That's something sort of outside of what any of us sort of related to what I research, but um, otherwise, you know, a topic that we don't all think about on a daily basis. And to be able to dig in a little bit and come up with um, solutions for helping our community. I'll echo what Sarah said for, um, I think in the challenge section, but just this idea of climate change and it's big and it's scary and what can we actually do and thinking through some of the things that we can do. Um, and I'm really excited to get this sent to um, some folks in the government and hopefully make change on this because I think the city of Madison is interested in something like this. So I'm excited to help make that happen. You specifically mentioned Milwaukee and Minneapolis as some cities with similar green infrastructure measures. Um, did you look at other cities as well? We looked at a few others. Um, I mean, lots of cities across the US are starting to implement green infrastructure in various ways and to various degrees. I know New York has done quite a bit as well. You know, we looked at quite a range of cities and I guess ended up sort of pulling examples more from Minneapolis and Milwaukee just because they're a little bit closer to Madison. But it's certainly something that other areas are thinking about as well. Did the general knowledge that you have of science and research as graduate students help with the memo development process? So my knowledge I guess like the science that I know did not help, but maybe knowing how to quantify things helped. I think that's the big skill I'm going to take away from my PhD is just being able to reason through numbers and their impact better. So I think that skill was helpful along with just knowing how to put together a story 
which I've learned from science. Um, but my actual research is not at all helpful here. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, what we do in our own research is, you know, how do you how do you come up with, you know, take an issue and come up with a question? How do you pull information from different sources and take, you know, lots of different information and distill it into what the most important key key points are and how does that connect um, to then, you know, make an argument um, or sort of have some results from that. And so I think a lot of the process that we're being trained to follow as um, STEM scientists is transferable. Thanks for tuning into In a Perfect Policy with UW-Madison's Catalysts for Science Policy. Today we discussed how the city of Madison can implement green infrastructure to mitigate flood risks and take steps toward climate adaptation. We identified several strategies that would help incentivize implementation of green infrastructure on residential properties, including a grant program for residents to cover the costs of installing green infrastructure on their property, a revision of existing stormwater fees to direct costs toward users who generate the most runoff, or starting a volunteer program to promote community stewardship of water resources. Green infrastructure provides the opportunity to install flood mitigation techniques around existing buildings as an integral part of the city, allowing Madison to adapt to the changing climate without imposing stringent and possibly economically detrimental green regulations on new development. Similar to neighboring Milwaukee, Wisconsin, these updates could have broad implications including recharging stormwater, saving energy, and reducing emissions. Ultimately, climate change is a critical challenge that will require action across all levels of government to create climate-smart policies and foster community adaptation. We hope that this episode has highlighted steps that local officials, individual residents, and community organizations can take to make meaningful change. For more episodes, please check out casp.wisc.edu podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review In a Perfect Policy wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Maya Gumnett with help from Sarah Alexander. Thank you to Marie Fiore, Laura Borth, and Sarah Alexander for answering our questions today and for sharing their recommendations.